Okay, John 8 is where we're at today. And uh, we are going to go through verse 31 to 47. So it's a great chunk of scripture and hopefully I can make sense of it for you. So let's read it. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and never have been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will, you will become free? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offsprings of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father, little f, see? And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, that is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we are not born in sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God. And I'm here, I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil. You will, your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Remind us again this morning, Lord, how much we need it. How we need it to speak to our lives in so many different ways. And we pray that this morning that that would take place in Jesus' name. Amen. The same challenge that we face today was a challenge when Jesus walked on the face of this earth. And it's that challenge of belief and unbelief. You could say it's as old as mankind, and it really is. It not only is what we encounter when we want to seek to share Christ with others, but it's an inability to see. It's a blindness. Better put, it's an unwillingness to see. And we encounter that in this world today. And of course, we're not talking about physical blindness in this passage. It's spiritual blindness. It's as if the people, especially the scribes and Pharisees, who, who I believe this passage is speaking mostly to, they were wearing blinders. Blinders, or sometimes they're called blinkers, are those cap-like things that they put on racehorses or they put on workhorses. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and uh, they are made usually of leather or sometimes other material with a cupping to them. And it helps the horse to focus, to only be able to see ahead and not get distracted, if you will. It's kind of interesting. I had to look it up and I didn't know they were called blinkers, but they are called that at times. And I remember the first time 
that I saw a Clydesdale horse up in person, up close. Um, it was years ago, I think I was a year out of high school, I went down to see my dad in Portland, Oregon, and it was Rose Festival time and the Rose Parade. And that's a great parade. I haven't been to it for years, but it's probably one of the major parades in our area. But we went there, and I'm not sure. My dad always was working deals. That's the type of guy he was. And so my dad had got some passes for us to go to where the Budweiser Clydesdales were before the parade started and kind of get a mini tour and get told about them up close and personal. And you could imagine... Um, how these horses are. They are gigantic when you're right by them. They are beautiful, right, Anne? They are. They are gorgeous. I say that because Anne loves horses. And uh, they're gorgeous. They're graceful. They're really amazing when you think about it. And, of course, you've seen the pictures, and maybe you've seen them in the parade when they, I don't know how many they put on that wagon, and those horses just gallop down the street with pride and beauty and majesty. And unlike those of Jesus' day that we're talking about that were blind, okay, uh, horses, they, like I said, they could focus and they could see and not get distracted. Um, but the Jews of Jesus' day um, were distracted by another kind of blindness, a spiritual blindness. And so this area of belief and unbelief uh, is going to come out this morning in our passage. And be open to see it. I hope you're like that. I hope you are teachable believers. I mean that with all my heart. Uh, If you're not a teachable believer, you run the risk of becoming a believer that is religious and you are only coming in and out of these doors for other reasons. But we always want to be teachable. I came to the Lord in 1972. And I think for the most part, I've been teachable. And I think that's something you never want to lose. You cannot exhaust the word, incapable of it. And God's spirit always has something for us. So I want you to listen today. And I want you to learn. I want to teach you what's in this passage. But most of all, I want you to hear what the Lord would say to you. Now, it is the end of the Feast of Tabernacle where we're at. And Jesus had just made some amazing claims. He's going to make one more this morning. One, he said, and he offered living water, whereby one could be satisfied spiritually if they would receive him. And the living water, of course, again, wasn't physical water. It was the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that the time will come where you can receive the Holy Spirit and that spiritual thirst that everybody has in their life can be quenched. And we're in those day and ages now. A second thing that Jesus said, he said, I am the light of the world. And so what you see up here in this picture, and I hope you could see it. I know it's hard when I try to find these pictures. This is a rendering of what the temple could have looked like. Can you go back one slide, please? Oh, that's hard to see. Maybe it's easier up here. You see those great big candle operas that were there, those menorahs? They're gigantic. Joel, how tall were they? Where's my assistant pastor? (laughs) Anyway, um, (laughs) Doug's going to get him. You better get in there. He just mentioned you. They're like 70 to 75 feet high. 
And so go to the next picture. There you go. And so you could see them there kind of in the corners. You could see two of them at least. And then you could see these round stairs. And these round stairs, if this is what it looked like, and it probably did look something like this, is where water was poured out by the priest. And then Jesus said, I offer living water. And with these menorahs burning, he then says, I am the light of the world. And they might be out. We don't know. But the message was clear. He was where they had burned these things. And they say that the glow of these menorahs could be seen from every single part of Jerusalem. And so he said, I'm the light of the world. And these claims, you could imagine, I'm trying to get you into the text here. They were not without controversy. You know that if you've been following our studies. The Jews, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, they were challenging Jesus at every turn. And remember, by now, they wanted to kill him. And again, that's a contradiction because they're saying so clearly we know God in this passage, but they want to kill the Son of God. So you see the problem. So Jesus continues this discourse as we come to verse 31 and look at it again. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered, we are offspring of Abraham and never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And so when Jesus says there that um, those who had believed, there's a couple ways to look at this. Some say they're believers, that they came to the Lord, but they're babies in Christ, and we would say they still needed to grow. And all of us can relate to that if we've been to the Lord. When we initially came to the Lord, we didn't know much about him. And hopefully, now that you've walked with him for a while, you know so much more. And don't ever let that stop. It's like I said earlier. And so that's one thought. The other thought is others see them as believing what Jesus was saying or had said, but it was like a mental thing, just in their head. And it hadn't transferred to the heart. So not belief where the thoughts and the heart joined together for real belief, It was just like this mental ascent, if you will. And they believed what he said was true, but they were not prepared to put faith in him and their trust in him. And you can see this in their reaction to Jesus' implications that they weren't free. They didn't like that statement at all. Resting in their being a descendant of Abraham and not enslaved to anyone. And so there's some key things we want to see. Keep looking at your word as we look at this. Number one, you see that there's the word abide, and that's a key word, isn't it? Abide, some of your translations are, if you're using an NIV, it's going to say what? Remain. That's a translation of it. If you look it up in the Greek, it will mean the idea of continue. You know, it's kind of like when you were raising your kids, or if you still are raising your kids, and you don't use this word, but they, do, do people actually make kids sit in the corner anymore? Do they? Well, good, good, I'm glad. Because my mom did, but my mom never said, go abide in the corner for a while. But that is the idea, you know, uh, is just staying in that place, abiding in that place, receiving in that place. And that's a key word. The New Living Translation says, remain faithful to my teachings. And that is a mark, isn't it? If you want to make a note, that is a mark of a true disciple. The second, hang on, let me get my notes straight in here. I can't teach upside down notes. Um, 
the second is, notice it clearly says, abiding what? Look at it. In his, say it, his word. That is so important to understand. When we get to John 15, and again, some of you will be able to just think of kind of the bulk of John 15. And you know when we get to John 15, that's a chapter where he says, what? Abide in me, right? And so here we have abide in my word by Jesus. There we're going to see he says abide in me. And so which one is it? Both. I heard someone say both. It's both. We are to abide in his word. In other words, be in his word and we are to abide in Jesus as well. Abiding has the idea of relationship. Let me tell you, if you are in a marriage and you are only there present physically and you are not abiding in that marriage, connected in that marriage uh, with your spouse, that ain't a marriage. You may, it may be legal and everything else, but that ain't a marriage. You know, and that's what Jesus is saying here. It's relationship and it's being in his word. And isn't it interesting? Don't try to separate this too much. This mysterious and wonderful thing takes place that when we pray, we enter in more fully to a relationship with Christ. And when we're in his word, what happens? It leads to relationship as well. So you don't divide them. One, oh, this I need to do more than this. No, you just do them both and you will be abiding in Jesus. Pastor Brian Belly, pastors Calvary Chapel Marietta down in California, he says this, if speaking of one's future loyalty to Jesus' teaching, it proved the reality of their present profession. We accept folks into the body of Christ on their profession of trust in Christ, but continuance in the word and teaching of Jesus proves the sincerity or insincerity of the profession. It is the acid test. And that's true, see? And so let that speak to you. Let it challenge you. Let it move you. If all of a sudden you would say, well, Scott, I fall into the camp where I don't quite abide as I used to do. Well, I think most would say, I can relate to that. I've been there before. I'm there right now. These passages are there to take us as believers and to remind us, get back to that. I remember the days when I was... Um, uh, living in Spokane, and I was running the Salvation Army warehouse. And I came to the Lord by the old living Bible. My, the guy that led me to the Lord gave me that Bible, and he said, just start reading it, and I did. And so then I advanced to the green living Bible, right? Remember those, you guys? Some of you are going, don't know what you're talking about. It's okay. You don't need to. And I remember every morning I'd get up, and Wink would be in bed. It's, she's not as early a riser as I am. She's, she's not a 12 o'clock riser, but, and I just make my coffee and I take that living Bible and I just read it and let the Lord speak to me. And then I'd head off to work, you know, and that's the idea that the Lord wants to do here. Notice also, there's a third claim then that Jesus makes. I'm living water. I'm the light of the world. And what else? I can make you say it free. I can make you free. And it means this, you guys. Again, we're not talking physical. It's free from the bondage of sin, the hold of sin. Liberated from the power of sin over your life. I heard this put years ago in one of the, it might be uh, Philip's translations. I've never forgot it. Yeah, is the sin will no longer be your master. And so just think 
and I hate to say this, have you ever had a bad boss? Or maybe he wasn't or she wasn't a bad boss, but you just had a problem with them. You know, that's kind of the thing. It's almost like, hey, guess what? You came into work that day in the warehouse, and your boss was gone. And this new boss that you swore was from heaven appeared, and life was okay, see? But that's the idea. There, it's no longer master over you. And Jesus says it again in verse 36. I like how the Good News Bible puts it. If the Son sets you free, then you will be really free. See, I love that emphasis there. And it is freedom, listen to this, it is freedom from the practice and the habit of sinning all the time. It does not mean you will never sin again. This is where you say amen. Not that you want to continue to sin, but that you realize nothing's wrong with you when you commit that occasional sin. Amen. I heard it a little bit over here. Come on, guys. I need your feedback. But you see what I mean? That's what it means here. It's that habitual sin, that practice of sin. Notice verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You should highlight that word so you don't forget that it is not talking about the unintentional sin that you entered into or that you committed. It is talking about that practice of sin that marked your life before you came to Christ. Jesus will set you free from that. And you know what he does? He sets you freer and freer and freer from it. Amen? Amen, he does. And so it doesn't mean you're never going to sin but it's no longer your lifestyle. It's that not that practice. And how often do people think they are free and they actually see the Bible as, oh, the Bible enslaves people, you know? And we know just the opposite is true. It's funny how people think that. And yet in reality, people that would say that or people that want nothing to do with Christianity, they think they're not enslaved when in reality they are enslaved, right? And you, would, you could think of what things. I mean, we could think of alcoholism, People get enslaved to that, all types of things. But there's other things. People get enslaved to power. They get enslaved to money. All types of stuff enslaves our life. So if you're here today and you kind of didn't realize it, but you're like a scribe or Pharisee saying, I'm not enslaved, be careful. <laughs> be careful. Ask the Lord to show you because there could be something in your life that you are enslaved to and the Lord wants to set you free of that. And so notice he goes on, another thing we see that... Um, it's freedom from the practice of sinning all the time. Um, but then look at verse 32. Jesus says, what? what will set you free? The truth. The truth will set you free. Truth, it means versus falsehood. It's truth of God's word versus anything that would say something different than God's word. And it is both what Jesus taught, listen to this, and it's what he accomplished. Again, you don't divide those things. The truth of what Jesus did, dying on the cross for you and I, raising on the third day, is truth that sets you free. Your sins, your penalty of sin was paid for. But it's also the truth of the word sets you free. Again, that cooperation. Never want to separate the two. They work together all the time. And so we see that taking place. And today... Uh, partly in reaction to the Bible, and also because we have become, man's always struggled with self-centeredness. This is, you know, it's just so funny of how, can, how much we think about ourselves. But we live in a culture 
of self-centeredness. We are a self-centered people and people love and want to and insist on making up their own truth. And you will encounter them. When you try to show them the truth of God's word, they say, well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Well, guess what? There's only one truth. There's not two different truths. And we see that, we encounter that, don't we? And even Pilate did this, so it's not a new thing. When he was talking to Jesus and he said to Jesus, what is truth? See? So he goes on, look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains free. And so in other words, if you're under sin, you don't have security in your life. You're not going to be in the house of God now or for eternity. But if you are a son, you're secure. You are in the house. So if the son, the slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do not, you do what you have seen from your father. And so twice we see that they were trusting in their ancestry, their family line, if you will. Verse 33, we are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. Verse 36, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Jesus knew that, okay? And what's interesting, it's like this. Did they forget their history? You realize that they were enslaved multiple times as a people. Going all the way back before we could say this is before they became a nation in Egypt, they were enslaved to Egypt. And it goes on. They were a slave to the Syrians, the Babylon, of Babylon, the Persians, the Macedonians, Syria. And were they enslaved right now in the Bible? Yeah, they're enslaved to Rome right now. Rome is in charge, okay? Look at this picture behind you, behind me. That is a picture, a rendering of what the Temple Mount and everything looked like. And if you see the biggest picture in the top left-hand corner, I'm looking at it here, so I gotta look at it. The top left-hand corner and then the bottom right-hand corner shows it again. That's what's known as the Antonio Fortress. In other words, a fort, okay, a barracks, if you will. You know who's in that barracks? Romans. And if you could see the scale, it was taller than even the temple. And so here they are making this claim to Jesus. They're in this, the courtyard of women or the, 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 uh, the treasury area. And they're saying, we're enslaved to nobody. And they could look over the corner and they could see the Antonio Fortress in the background. And they would realize you're enslaved to Rome. And so... They as a people had been enslaved. And this is a thought, just so you know, we've got, we always want to be open to the scripture. There's a thought here that even if they are thinking we have never worshiped a man as God, and maybe is that what they meant, but we've always been free to worship the true and living God, which is true, okay? We know that they were anything but free. They were in bondage to legalism, to ritualism, to outward performance, to outward appearance, to religious pride, to religious power. Boy, these scribes and Pharisees were all about power. To religion in general as to life-changing relationship with the living God. So they were in bondage, if you will. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, 
you would do, be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And so they just didn't get it, did they? They didn't get it. They saw God as their father. They were blind to the fact that he is your father only in name. He is not really your father. But when God is mentioned, there is no real belief. There is no relationship. And again, I know that our relationship with the Lord probably does take on some difference in the sense that we are on this side, the other side of the cross. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But to say a relationship with the living God was impossible in the Old Testament, it's not true. It was very possible. And Abraham's a great example of that, that he had this relationship with, with the Lord. And so we see that in him, that they thought that God really isn't a person, per, that God isn't really a person's father or Lord at one life is what they're thinking. And when they said, verse 41, we are not born of sexual morality, you know what that's talking about, Joan. Who are they talking to? Jesus. This is kind of why I think in general, he's really having this conversation going on with the scribes and the Pharisees more than the people in general. Okay. It was a reference to Jesus's birth. And to, like today, they had failed to see what the scripture had said about the Messiah, where he'd be born, how he'd be born by a virgin, etc. So the information was there. Just like today, the truth of God's word, the truth of God is available. The truth of who Jesus is is available, but people simply choose not to believe. And that happens all the time. And so you see that. And it was a sign they didn't like what Jesus was saying. That's really what's going on here. And that's putting us a mild way <laughs> to say they didn't like and in their minds, they're going, we can't kill him soon enough. And I hope that is a foreign, foreign thought in any application to you. But that's where they were at. They were thinking about killing somebody. And it just boggles the mind. And often, when we talk to others about Jesus, they don't like what we're saying. And what do they do? They try to take the conversation in another direction. And you kind of see that here by them saying all of a sudden that. They didn't like what he was saying. And they think they, again, are digging him and they got him, okay? But again, notice Jesus, what he did. He just moved on. And I'm not saying don't answer people's questions. But one, you want to know if the person tends to be, have some sincerity in their interaction with you and discern that. And then say, Lord, give me discernment about, do I ignore what they just said and move on? Or do I need to pay some attention to that? See, but Jesus, in this case, ignored it. He just moved on. He kept going and he just kept moving on. And so they claimed to be Abraham's children and descendants. And Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham did. Now think for a minute. Everything in this passage so far that I've told you, it isn't physical, it's spiritual. So again, it's the same thing here now. The works of Abraham, we're not talking about physical works that he did. You know, Abraham was a worker, you know, you know, that type of thing. It was spiritual. He had shown belief. He had shown obedience. And he had faith to the voice of, from heaven. And in this case, there's a voice from heaven speaking right now. It's Jesus in their presence. But they were doing quite the opposite. Jesus says, you seek to kill me. Verse 44. 
You are the father, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? And so claiming God as their father, Jesus says, I'll tell you who your father is. Your father is the devil. And man, you and I are sitting there and going, wow, how'd they react to that, right? And I thought, I wondered if it jarred any of them. And I'm not just thinking of scribes and Pharisees. We know some Pharisees came to Christ. But I'm wondering, did it jar anybody there? There's, there's crowds here too listening to this. And did it jar any of them? It would get my attention if all of a sudden someone tells me your father is of the devil. You know, you could get real defensive, but you should also check it out. Is that true? But I don't know. It doesn't seem like it jarred them. And the devil has these traits, if you will, okay? He has characteristics that you and I don't want to have. He is a murderer. And again, being, bringing physical and spiritual death to mankind when he caused Adam and Eve to sin in the beginning. He hates the truth of God's word. Uh, in Going back to Genesis, when he said to them, when uh, Eve is about to enter into this sin of eating the fruit, did God say you surely shall die? See, he's a liar. He hates it. He lies. He lied to Adam and Eve. Just And think about when Jesus was led into the wilderness and being tempted. He took the scripture and he twisted the scripture because he's a liar. And he's a, 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 he, he brings forth false accusations. You say I was born of sexual immorality, but I say, which one of you convict, can convict me of sin? Do you see the contrast there? Oh, you're born of sexual immorality. We know what happened. I know what you say, but that's not true. And he kind of says, go ahead. Show me what sin I'm guilty of. There was none. No sin he was guilty of. The Good News Bible says, which one of you can prove that I am guilty of sin? And the New Living says, which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? See, and they couldn't. And so verse 47, whoever is of God hears the word of God. We've heard that before. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. I wish I could be as honest and bold as Jesus is at times. Some of you are, and I'm thankful for it, you know. But a lot of us are afraid to be that bold, that truthful. But Jesus had no problem. And I think a lot of it is just that fact that here you got this, this leadership and they're leading the nation astray. And he was going to have nothing of it. And so he called them out for what they were doing. And notice something. God wasn't their father in verse 47. It's clear. Now watch this thing that takes place here. Do you agree that the leaders of Israel were prideful? Their pride led to blindness. This can happen to you and I. Their blindness led to unbelief. And their unbelief led to an inability to hear. Let me say it again. Their pride led them to blindness. Their blindness then led them to unbelief. And their unbelief gave them this inability to hear. You do not want to find yourself in that circle. And so as we close this morning, I want you to think, I want you to truly let God's spirit speak to you as he has been about this area of belief and unbelief. If Christ isn't the Lord of your life and you are sitting here this morning, 
And that's fine. We're glad you're here. I sat in church services for quite a while before I finally gave my life to the Lord. It's funny how God does that, isn't it? His spirit would say to you, believe. See who Jesus is. See what Jesus has done. And be set free of your sin. No longer fear hell. Be assured and secure in your eternal life. If Jesus is the Savior and Lord of your life, is there something that has hit you today? And again, here's the beauty of this. I have nothing in mind. I'm not looking at you and going, man, Greg, I hope you heard that wink. I hope you heard this, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm not thinking that, you know. Trust me, my brain doesn't work that well. But the beauty of it is it's between you and God. It's between his spirit and you, isn't it? And if there's something the Lord is saying to you do that he wants you to see, that's what you need to do. So let me show you something here. There's something interesting we could do. You could see it on the screen. You can, I put this list together of where we see belief and where we see unbelief in this passage. It's very interesting. The one who believes, these are the traits that will be in their life. They will abide in God's word. They will know the truth. They are free from sin. They're secure in Christ. That's the remain in the house thing, right? God is their father. They are obedient like Abraham was. You know, what an incredible thing Abraham did. When God was speaking to him, he obeyed and went where he didn't know he was going. And they obeyed. And, and, and obedience is a mark. Loving God is a mark. And Hearing God's voice is a mark of the true believer. The marks of unbelief are trusting in something other than Jesus. You know, they were trusting in their heritage, their lineage, if you will, that we can trace our family line back to Abraham. Well, you can, Jesus admitted. He agreed with that, but it wasn't going to do anything. They were blind to their state, their condition. They Practicing sin is a mark of unbelief and no concern about it. There's no security in unbelief. They wanted to kill Jesus. Um, and again, that just could be a mark of a person, not to kill somebody, but just that level of anger. They had no place for God's word. The devil was their father. And that seems so weird, isn't it? And I don't think that means that everybody that doesn't know the Lord is possessed by the devil. But you understand if you think about it, that who is their father? If it's not God, it has to be Satan. And that's what he means. And they avoid the real issues, don't they? Let's talk about your sexual immorality. And the issue gets avoided. They don't stand in the truth, and they are not of God. And so Joel will take us through the rest of the passage next week, but we want to take up communion this morning. And as we take up communion this morning, um, Joel, can you bring down the lights, please? Um, we're going to... Um, do it differently. We do this every so often. And so Matt's going to lead us in a time of worship. I assured him Pastor Scott would not be long-winded today, and he would have time to lead us in worship. And so we've got plenty of time this morning. And so if you're in the back there, there's, a, there's trays of juice and bread on each side. There's trays here. And you don't have to all get up at once, because what we want to do is just, we want to worship the Lord during this time, don't we? We want to praise him and worship him and speak to him and, and sing to him. And so we're going to take up communion now. And as we do, you, just as you feel led, go to one of those places and get your bread and juice. Go back to your seat.
and then you could take it together. And there's plenty of time. Like I said, we're, we're going to have a, a kind of an extended time of worship right now. And so may the Lord lead us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, um, of when we dig into it, how much is there. And Lord, that, that theme of belief and unbelief is throughout this. And the blindness of the Pharisees and scribes is throughout this passage. Lord, we don't want to be blind people. And we even have to confess, knowing you at times, there sometimes are things we don't want to see. Lord, help us to see what you would have us see. So bless this time, Lord. We celebrate your life. We celebrate your death upon the cross. We celebrate your resurrection, Lord. We celebrate the forgiveness of our sin and a lasting fellowship with you, Lord. Bless us, your people, during this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.